Happy Mother's Day. If thank you. Means a lot. Um, if anybody deserves a special day, it truly is mothers. So we I mean, I don't know about you, but um, I think of my own mom and the stuff that she put up with me. I think of my wife and ironically enough, the stuff that she put up with me. And so she deserves a special day, many special days to come. Um, thank you for coming today. Uh, I know you have plenty to do and I'll try to respect that. Um, my name is Justin Shuey and uh, I am really honored to be here today to fill in for um, our pastor and uh, today also is uh, very, very special for me because this is actually the first time that I have ever um, been able to, in front of a congregation, give basically my testimony. So the story that I'm giving you today is, is, is basically like sort of the story of my life and sort of the foundation of where I, where I came from. Um, again, I'm, I'm excited to share a message with you, and I think this message is full of hope and passion, maybe some encouragement. Um, it's a it's a message of of perspective and, and and rightly seeing this wonderful gospel that we have and this wonderful God that we serve. I don't know about you guys, but when I was young, I would sing praise songs like this, and I knew that I was supposed to do it. But I can tell you that I was only doing it out of duty because I didn't really feel a lot of it. So today, this is about that. Um, no matter how dark it gets. Uh, you know, regardless of the circumstances, this is about who God has actually revealed himself to be. And that may be different than the one that we grew up with or the one that we now presently have. Um, it is a message that started in my life 43 years ago. And this is where that foundation of faith started for me. Now, I also, I mentioned this in the first service, I, I'm a teacher uh, professionally. And so um, I'm used to teaching from the back. And I'm also used to, like, turning around, so please don't be offended if I turn my back to you. I'm just kind of, like, using my prompts and stuff like that. Um, again, this started for 43 years ago for me. Um, the message is called Come Alive, and I think I just blew through it. Sorry. I did. Hang on. Oh, my gosh. This didn't happen the first time. There we go. Okay. Um, because it's a, it, this, is, this has a special meaning to me. Um, but uh, let's go ahead and move on. This is a picture of uh, me and uh, two very special people in my life. Um, I'm the guy on the left that looks like he's got itchy armpit. And uh, the woman in the middle is my mother, Linda. And the person on the right is my twin brother, Travis. And uh, this was taken 43 years ago. And this is one of my earliest memories of life. And this is where I started to really have a profound um, sort of impacting sort of image of who God uh, was to me. Now, I grew up in the church. My grandfather was a pastor, and um, I have two lovely, lovely parents, um, very loving and affirming and wonderful people. Uh, they were affirming in the fact that they had two twin baby boys. One was absolutely brilliant, and the other one was nothing but trouble, and I never once, you could guess who, which one I was, uh, you, you thought the brilliant one. Thank you. That was nice of you guys. I could see it on your face. Um, actually, no, I was the one that got in trouble. And um, I never once felt judged by my parents. Never once did I feel like I had to be like that other person. But something started to really, really happen that was impacting me. 
and a sense of fear start to broil up on the inside of me because I don't know if you notice, but there's a difference between the size of those two young men, right? We're exactly the same age. Well, not exactly. I'm two minutes younger than him, so he's actually older than me. Big difference, right? This is when we were three years old. My first actual working memory. This is one of the things that I remember from my earliest memory. Now, as life goes on, we're now five. This is my grandmother's house in Monta Vista, Colorado. Notice, of course, that there is a significant difference again in the height between these two twin boys. As a matter of fact, most people didn't even think that we were twins. Most people thought I was twins with my sister, which is over to the right. She's two years older than me. Uh, They didn't realize that we were actually... They didn't even realize we were related, let alone twins, because of all the differences and things. So as life is going on here, my, my mom and dad, I could sense it in them, and I could feel that there was, some, there was some struggle. There were some questions. There were some mysteries. Why? Why was this happening? What's going on with this little guy? So life went on. My parents still lived a wonderful life, but there was some undertones, some fearful undertones of a brother who was not exactly normal. And finally, in 1984, we moved to Pueblo, Colorado, and my brother was taking a typing class. It was my freshman year in high school, and we finally realized that he couldn't feel anything with his fingers. And I don't know if anybody knows anything about medical technology back then, but finally they had the kind of technology where they could identify a brain tumor on a brain stem. Well, the mystery was revealed, and our answers came hard, fast, and ruthless. We finally understood what was going on with this young man. This was um, about a month after his first brain surgery. You can tell from the back, it's a little grainy. I put it in here because it's important to know that there are things in life that are real, and they're in your face, and it's one thing to say something in church and to sing it, to preach it, to read it. It's a little different when it's the reality of life. So I'm not up here in front of you today trying to... I'm not trying to spoil anybody's day. By the way, it doesn't get more positive. I just wanted to let you know. So I'm going to let you go now. Um, I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to challenge any beliefs. But what I am trying to do is maybe get you to re-examine a couple of things if this is you. But this is my walk. And if you can learn anything from it, then I am thrilled to death. And pleased. But the reality was that my life wasn't like that. And I had to deal with a lot of things that were a struggle. And they were a struggle for over 30 years. Um, when we were 16 years old, we were able to visit um, Washington, D.C. And, uh, you know, life was a little bit better here. What you can't see is that my brother has no hair on the back of his skull. Um, boy, that made high school fun. Um, I uh, started getting into fights um, probably around first grade, and they didn't get any better in high school. Um, And most of them were because of him. Twin brother, very, very brilliant young man. His IQ was over 140, uh, and he didn't enjoy it when people would look at him weird, and he had a mouth on him that was quick, witty, and venomous. And that doesn't bring out the best in bullies. And so, obviously, I was the only one that was there. So you can imagine what happened, right? And um, I got to where I hated going to school. I got to where I was terrified of conflict. But yet, I couldn't leave my brother alone. Um, 
I went to Pueblo County High School. I'm going to just throw this in there real quickly. And this is one of the worst memories I have in my life. And it was the first time I got into a fight in high school. And um, somebody smacked my brother in the back of the head. Well, he has no skull back there. And so immediately he brought his head down to the, to the, like to, into his uh, lap. And I, I blacked out for a while. And uh, we came to when there was 1,200 students looking at me fighting a kid on the, on the gym floor with you know, vice principals and principals trying to pull me off of this guy. And I've got to tell you that, that people don't act like that unless there's some inner turmoil. Well, life did go on. We got older. Um, things got better for me and things got far worse for him. And so for me, being a twin, can you imagine that foundation that I had developed of God and who he was started to solidify and it started to be cemented in and there were steel girders starting to build up around it with reinforcements and there was no way you could crack it. And then guilt started to get piled on top of it. Why was I the healthy one? Why am I having to look at my brother every single day like this? I got married along the line here. I'm supposed to be happy about that. And I couldn't. Something was missing from me. There was a hole. There was something there that was blocking that joy. And I remember one time when my brother, my twin brother, um, do you mind if I get real? Is that okay? Okay. Um, my brother couldn't go to the bathroom by himself. Okay? So he had to be helped. And I remember we were in our, we were in our mid-twenties at the time, and I had been out to see my mom and dad, and I was helping him do that. And there's something you have to do in order to help people go to the bathroom who can't go to the bathroom. And I remember looking up at his eyes and tears were just rolling down his eyes. And he put his, he put his hand on my shoulder. And he looked at me and he said, I'm sorry. All that anger inside of me started to broil up. And at that time, I was going to church with wonderful people. My foundation had been set, but I found a new church and I was was going to church with all these wonderful people. You know, Aaron Tomlinson's his name. Lori Doherty's one of those people. The Polaris. Wonderful people. The Stratmans. And I started to realize that I was incredibly unhappy. And I didn't know why. I had a wonderful life. I had a wonderful wife. We were real close to having a baby at this point. And yet I looked at the situation and I couldn't believe that I would actually wish to trade places with my brother. If I could have, I would have done it in a heartbeat. Life went on. Again, it kept getting worse and worse, and then eventually the inevitable happened. And it actually happened at church um, on the Adams uh, campus. And somebody came and got me, and 
one of my pals from high school came and uh, came to the church. There was a, he was a fireman, and I saw his face, and I knew exactly what had happened. And then, of course, the end result, the last time I ever saw my brother, or at least his body. Now, I want you to know that I'm not sharing all of these pictures um, to diminish the quality of our, of our faith. I'm showing these pictures because life happens and because there's a foundation of life that we develop that can either help us succeed in situations like this or it can destroy any kind of success or any kind of restoration in situations like this. Because at one point or another, we're going to meet it and we're going to see it if you haven't already. Now, when I was a child, I developed an idea and a view of God that was like this picture. It was stern. It was dry. And it wasn't loving. And I just didn't know where to go with it. I was in a vibrant church that was beautiful and the teaching was incredible and it was different than anything I'd ever heard before. But something was binding me up. Something was holding me. So since I wanted to be like all these vibrant people, about seven or eight years ago I decided that I'd had enough of myself and I started to walk in the mornings and pray because that's what good Christians do. Lo and behold, when I was walking um, in the morning, so I'm talking about like 5 o'clock in the morning, um, I started to pray. And I started to learn that the old prayers that I hated doing as a kid weren't really doing it for me anymore. So I started to pour my heart out and I started to speak things into my life. So if I was having an issue at school, I'd be like, Lord, be with those kids. Be with that kid. Father, I call life into that kid. And I just started doing things that I didn't really know I should have been doing. And lo and behold, there started to just well up on the inside of me a little bit of passion, a little bit of excitement, a little bit of, you know, and things started getting better and better, and I started to get more and more excited, and I started to sing when I was out there and worship God and the reality of it, not like some showy course like in church or something like that, not that we do that, but I'm just saying that we, that I started to do it from my heart for probably the first time in my life. I told this story in the, in the earlier service, but I remember one time I came around a corner and I was, I was actually like, you can do it. You can do this. And I'm talking to myself, not in a fake, not in a, I'm not trying to persuade myself, but true persuasion, true, true motivation. And right as I walked around the corner, there was this guy in his underwear coming out to get his newspaper. It's like five o'clock in the morning. So we looked at each other and I paused. He went back into the house. I kept walking. I started to love who I was becoming. But as life happens, um, sometimes we lose the truths of what we learned. And my wife got a new job, and it became a difficult process. She was working about 80 hours a week, and there was a lot of stress in our household. And one thing led to another, and I started to kind of forget those things. And one day I was at home cleaning the house, and I was listening to some worship music, and one of my favorite artists, her name is um, Lauren Daigle. She sings a song called Come Alive, which is how, where I got the title for, for this message today. And it was about an absolutely remarkable scripture out of Ezekiel. And I've read it many times. But when you put a scripture to song, sometimes it changes how you view it. So let's take a look at this scripture really quickly. 
So Ezekiel 37 says, The Lord took hold of me, and I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. And I thought, that's me. He led me all around among the bones that covered that valley floor. They were scattered everywhere across the ground and were completely dried out. Not only is that me, that's where I live. That's Pueblo, Colorado. If this isn't the Valley of Dry Bones, what is? Then he asked me, Son of man, can these bones become living beings again, or living people again? O sovereign Lord, I replied, you alone know the answer to that. Then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to these bones and say. And also I'm like, I used to do that. I was doing that like seven years ago. That used to be me. So I read on. Listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I am going to put breath into you and make you live again. It's a beautiful message. It goes on. I will put flesh and muscle on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I spoke this message just as he told me. Suddenly, as I spoke, there was a rattling noise all across the valley. The bones of each body came together and attached themselves as complete skeletons. You ever felt like that? You know, that's where most of, that's where most of the churches are today. They have hope. Hey, hope is a good thing. We need it, right? But we know what happens when hope is deferred. But hope is a good thing. It gives us a hope of a future. It gives us a hope of salvation, eternal salvation. And it's a good place to start. We need it. But something was missing. Then I watched, as I watched muscles and flesh formed over the bones, then skin formed to cover the bodies, but they still had no they still had no breath. And without the breath, somewhere along the line, your life and your walk is going to get stagnant. It's going to get dull. It's going to dry out just a little bit. Then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to the wind, son of man. Speak a prophetic message and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, O breath. From the four winds, breathe into these dead bodies so they live again. So I spoke the message as he commanded me, and breath came into their bodies. They all came to life, and they stood up on their feet, a great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones represent the people of Pueblo. They are saying, we have become old, dry bones. All hope is gone. If we paraphrase this and put it in a newspaper, we'd see it every, every day, maybe every weekend in this city right here. I know I serve that city and I see its children and I see its families. And there are a lot of people that don't have hope. Our nation is finished. I'm moving away. I can't stand it here anymore. These people are rude. They're ignorant. Too much poverty, too much panhandling. I don't like the attitude. Parents are idiots. 
Children are disrespectful. People are getting shot. Too many robberies. It's too dangerous. How do you live in that town? So therefore prophesy to them and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Oh, my people, I will open your graves of exile and cause you to rise again. Then I will bring you back to the land of Israel. When this happens, oh, my people, you will know that I am the Lord. I broke when I heard this song. I was on my hands and knees and I was just weeping. And I didn't know what in the world was wrong with me. I'm like, my God, what, what's going on? Because there was something missing on the inside of me. Something deep down inside at a foundational level that was really draining my life source, my energy, my motivation, my passion. I didn't know why so many people that I went to church with seemed so excited. As a matter of fact, I found it quite annoying. (laughs) They would get up and they would sing with passion. They'd be up on the stage and they'd be happy and they'd be singing to God. And sort of going like, you know, I, I, I feel like I knew what that used to be like, but I don't know what happened. And what snuck into my existence was that that foundation that I had developed as a child had never officially gone. Now, let me tell you about that foundation. That foundation was developed, not from my parents, but it was developed from a, from a church view. And you see this view everywhere. You see it on ESPN when somebody uh, wins, a, wins, a, wins a basketball game. Well, I'd like to honor God for this. I'd just, I just like, like to thank him for this victory. I'm like, yes, God allowed the, you know, the Warriors to, to, you know, to beat the you know, Houston you know, or whatever in the NBA playoffs or whatever. Right? That's, that's, so we see it everywhere, don't we? So this view has infiltrated every part, every segment of our actual society, of our world. You see people all the time on TV. Well, listen, you know, God just took that person away and, you know, I just gotta, I'll just see him someday in heaven. Well, I'm not sure why God let this happen, but you know what? We just, it's just a mystery that we'll never know. You hear that? We hear that all the time, don't we? Well, it must be God's plan. Well, I was having a hard time with that as a child, but I finally got it shoved so deep down inside, unfortunately, I forgot that it was still there. So I started to think, what can I do about this? Because I know that this passage that I was just singing, it illustrates a life of hope. It's an illustration about speaking prophetically to your life, to situations that are hopeless, impossible. Areas that are not, you can't restore them. Areas in your life, relationships in your life, situations in your life. And I started to sing to myself again. Great thing that my wife and son are gone. But I start to tell myself to come alive. I started to tell myself to breathe. And you know what's really weird? Is I know that sounds kind of corny. In our world today, it sounds like, well, you're just making this happen. But what was amazing, that as I was saying to that, that, those very words to myself, that I started to feel life well up on the inside of me. And God started to kind of show me some things, some beliefs, some foundational parts of my life that I didn't realize were still there. I didn't realize 
that there was a part of me that didn't really trust God. I had heard scriptures, but God knows you, knew you before the foundation of the world. And like, did he? Did he plan to give my brother a brain tumor back then? Did he, was he part of all this destruction that we see? Was he the one that orchestrated wars and death and destruction? The Christian church has been responsible, I don't know if you know historically, for a lot of death. And we've attributed all of it to God. And that I was torn because my view of Jesus was something quite different. Now, if I said the word Jesus to you, what's the image that you see? You don't see angry, mean, wrathful God in the, you know, this Greek version of like <laughs> lightning bolts and stuff like that. You see this loving, wonderful, gentle, beautiful, self-sacrificial God that was willing to do anything for us. And so I had this complex going on on the inside of me. Pastor Aaron's talked about cognitive dissonance, about how you believe one thing, but you see another, and you're living a dualistic life. Well, I was doing that, and I'm like, wait a minute. And I started to think, when I think of God, I honestly was thinking of someone that brought wrath and judgment. And I think most of the church does that. And that view is damaging. That view does not allow us to realize our full potential. That view saps our strength. It drains us of the very energy we're desiring to have. And we feel guilt because we don't have it. When it's all fundamental, it's all foundational, and it's all just a simple belief. And if we can fix that one thing, then all of the healing that you desire will come. All of the energy and passion that you want for God will come. You won't get mad anymore when people are singing up here or when some guy's up here saying, hey, come alive, yay. Right? It's all about that foundation. You see, that view says that God is both beautiful and ugly. That view says that God is for you. It kind of looks like he's against me. That view says that God is loving, but yet does all these things that look like they're hateful. That view says that God died for you, yet he killed you. I mean, come on, people. Does this make any sense at all? I mean, honestly, no wonder we're so... So conflicted, so no wonder we're so hypocritical in a sense. It's because that view is bringing out in us hypocrisy. Because we don't, what other choice do we have? We know that God is here, we know that we love Him, but yet deep down inside we don't really truly trust Him. And when I say we, I mean me. I forgot this is my story. Jesus died for our sins. God ordained violence and death and destruction. 
Jesus healed a man's ear that was coming to put him on trial. God wants every man, woman, child, and animal killed. We can't have that. We can't have both. So today I'm challenging that view, which, by the way, has become a worldview. So today I'm challenging, and I'd like you to re-examine and to think about what is God really revealing himself as. There is good news. I wouldn't leave you right here. (laughs) So let's check something else. Now, this is more the life that God has intended for us, right? I don't see that dryness. I see a vibrant colors, and I see freshness and beauty, fruitfulness, compassion, love. It just has a feel to it, doesn't it? Well, I want to bring up a scripture. I think you'll like it. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. I'm sure you've never seen it before. <laughs> It says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. That did happen. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. See, I'm guessing that's a better way. And through whom also he made, oh, I'm sorry, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. So you do know that when I'm thinking about all of those heinous visions and images of God, you do know that Jesus was around. Well, Christ was around for all of those, wasn't he? The sun is the radiance of God's glory. Oh, can you imagine the radiance of God's glory? God had to put his hand over Moses so he didn't kill him from just seeing the backside of his, the radiance of his glory. And the, what are those next two words? Oh, wait a minute. The sun is the exact representation of his being. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. Incidentally, the word that he put into us. Hmm. The exact representation Now, wait just a second, then. Let's just talk about this for a moment. Okay, so the exact representation. So that means that every place that God was, I can now replace that with Jesus. Hold on to that for just a second. I can start to actually... Think of that loving, gentle, tender God. You know the one when I say Jesus, the image that you all have? Holding me in his arms, protecting me, dying for me. And I can actually start to think of that when I think of God. Because when I was a kid, I worshipped two gods. There was Jesus, there was God. There was the fun-loving one, there was the angry one that you hid from. Did you know that you can never grow beyond your image of God? Did you know that you can never have more passion than the image that you have of God allows you to have? You can't go beyond it. You can't generate or motivate yourself enough 
to do anything more than the image that you have of your heavenly father. And what we're being told right here is that Jesus, the son, is the exact representation of his being. It's been said, I don't even know where it's been around for a long time, that God didn't reveal Jesus to us. Jesus revealed God to us. So anytime you have questions, we have to see it through Jesus. Anytime you have doubts, we have to examine it through the lens of Jesus. This is a term that Pastor Aaron's used. Anytime we have worries, we have to see it through the lens of the love that Jesus had for us. So we have to be a Jesus body of Christ. Because he is the, the exact representation of God. He is who we should be seeing. Just in case you're wondering, there are actually more scriptures that support this, and I only found a few. Watch this. Jesus is God's own image. Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is God's own form. All the fullness of God resides in Jesus. Jesus created all things. Jesus holds all things together. God's true nature is found in him. It would appear that it's a little more provable than we thought. This is a well-established point in Christianity. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way to the Father. And Jesus alone knows the Father best. There's more. All of God's promises are realized in Jesus. All scripture points to Jesus. Wait a minute. Even the Old Testament scriptures that are saying attributing violence to God? I would imagine that it's going to start to change the way we interpret things because every single scripture that you read is pointing towards Jesus. We are instructed to fix our eyes and hearts upon Jesus. We should know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Moses was the one that gave the law, but grace and truth came through Jesus So I think the point today is this. My son's calling me right in the middle of sermon. Sorry. I think this is the point. That the way we view God very possibly can be robbing the passion and the strength and the motivation to live a life for him. And it can be a simple twist and change. There are a lot of wonderful, incredible human beings out there that believe in the name of Jesus. And there are a lot of wonderful people out there that have hope. But they can't get any further than that. And they're dry bones with a little bit of flesh, a little bit of blood coursing through it. They haven't gotten the breath. And it's all because of the image that they have of God is an image that isn't very clear. It's an image that's probably mistaken at some point in their life it was formed. It's an image that God never intended. 
Here's the primary thing. Jesus doesn't show us some of the characters of God. Because we could say, well, God is loving sometimes. Sometimes he's not. Jesus shows us all the character of God. He is the exact. I don't know what exact means in your verbiage, but I know what it means in mine. And it means exactly. It means precisely. It is the expressed image of our Heavenly Father. So God never intends for harm to come to you. God never placed a brain tumor in a little boy's body for whatever reason. God never gave somebody cancer. God never had a teenager killed in a car wreck. God never brought death to a group of people because they crucified him. Can you imagine placing Jesus in the place that we attribute to God? Can you imagine Jesus doing the things that we have attributed to our Father in Heaven? There are books written on how judgment came to the Jews in the form of Adolf Hitler. Can you imagine Jesus whispering in Adolf Hitler's ear, Listen, I'm only going to let you kill six million of them. No more. Can you imagine Jesus standing at the bedside of some tragedy, patting people on the back going, listen, I know it's really bad right now, but you're going to get a great testimony out of this. Hear, hear. Can you imagine Jesus at Columbine High School whispering in the ears of two hurting, distraught, destroyed boys who decided to take the lives of others. Whispering in their ears, I'm only going to give you 11 today. Or at Sandy Hook Elementary School. But yet we do it every day to God. We attribute the most heinous, vile, Violent acts to our Heavenly Father. And He has expressly shown His character through His Son to us. Now, I can look at this picture with anger, without hatred, without fear, without mistrust. I'm not a little kid anymore thinking, God, did you, why did you do this? Why are you putting my family through this? Why are my parents crying? Why are they devastated for 30 years? I no longer look at the 14 years that my brother was on life supports 
and get angry with God. You know, a man told me once in a hospital, he told me, as my brother's lying there, after one of his eight brain surgeries, and he patted me on the shoulder and he said, you know, there's a reason for this. And maybe only God knows what it is, but there's a reason for it. And it, and it made me so angry that I, at that point, almost made the decision to turn away from God. And I told him, if your God gave my brother a brain tumor, then he can go straight to hell. And he looked shocked, and he couldn't believe I spoke to him in such a manner. It's about a 16-year-old kid. He's like, how dare you say that? My parents had to come over and break it up, <laughs> and they escorted him out of the room. And I'm, I'm, I'm weeping, and I'm angry, and I, I'm telling my parents, I'm like, listen, I cannot do this. There's no way this can be true. And my mom and dad didn't have any better answers than anybody else at the time. We have a God who is loving. We have a God who loves us. And I can tell you, and I would challenge you to re-examine that foundation. And I would also tell you this, re-examine any belief that you have from Old Testament, New Testament. Re-examine it through the lens of Christ. Because it is a duplicitous, nasty monster that will drag down the very energy that we have when we can be speaking to the valley of dry bones. Breathe. Come alive. Because we have a God who loves us. We have a God who cherishes every moment with us. We do not have a God that's looking for a way to teach us a lesson. We don't have a God that's going to bring death and destruction into your life so that you're going to have a greater, a greater testimony. I always wondered about that. I thought a miracle would be a greater testimony than death. So we can build on a foundation that will allow us to become everything, not only God wants us to be, but that you want you to be. My life no longer looks at this in pain. My life looks at it and cherishes the moments Bad things are going to happen. Tragedies are going to happen. Death is going to happen. But that doesn't mean that our God brought it. When those times come, having a strong foundation and knowing who our God is, is the way to come through it successfully and come through it with strength and to come through it in a way that allows us to keep saying to ourselves, come alive. Breathe. And if we can say that to ourselves, then we can impact the valley of dry bones and the state of dry bones and the country of dry bones. And we can have a greater impact. But until our foundational belief changes, then we're stuck and we're being robbed. Today, I would like on Mother's Day, a wonderful day, a day where we cherish 
in my mind, one of the most powerful and precious segments of our society. We can honor God. He gave us every mother. And we can honor him correctly for the things that he did give to us. Let's honor him for the things he really did attribute or that can be attributed to him, that he really did offer us. And let's start to corrode and destroy those foundational beliefs that are corroding and destroying our faith. Thank you for honoring me today. Thank you for allowing me to kind of share this. If anybody ever saw me in church and I looked, you know, I might have been fighting through some of these things, and I know some of you may too. So, Today, honestly, um, and you can wait as long as you need to, but we have ministry teams that are available for you. And we have a lot of strength in our church. That's why I go here. And I appreciate the fact that I can even say this to you, because some churches, they'd have rolled me out on the railroad. So thank you, because this is one of those sacred cows that people get really upset about. And I know, because I grew up with it, And I can tell you that I can breathe. And I don't mean just that. I can breathe. God bless you. Ministry teams are available.